Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good morning. Um, uh, it's Wednesday. Uh, no, it's not. It's actually Thursday morning. Perfect. Uh, I'm fresh in from operation. Uh, Nick has been supplying the market with information about my arm, and uh, my arm is currently a sling. And uh, I, if you see me on the website and it's been videoed, I've got one sleeve missing. It's only because I'm not trying to uh, pitch up here. It's because my arm, with the, all the shit they put around it, didn't fit through the sleeve. So I had to wear a suit today because I've got to go make a speech at Sofitel straight after this. I didn't dress up for these eminent guests here today. Eminent as they are. Okay, quickly covering off the RBA met this week. Um, they decided to keep interest rates on hold, um, and uh, they gave out they uh, read out a number of conditions around this. Um, they took the view that it's clearly just a hold. They took the view that they're holding on to rates currently as they are in order to watch what the market does in terms of things like inflation, unemployment, and growth. So when it comes to inflation. They look like they're pretty clear that inflation will remain below the range where they would normally like it, two to three percent. Looks like they're happy with that. They, from their statement, that is, in other words, inflation will not be a drive of high inflation will not be a drive of interest rates going up, and super low inflation will not be a drive of interest rates going down from where they are now. That's the first thing. But they're still going to keep an eye on it. The second thing is unemployment looks like it bothers them a little bit. Um, they are therefore going to keep a watch on unemployment. I reckon if unemployment sort of starts to push up, because it has been pushing up in the last month or so, um, they will strongly consider reducing rates. But bear in mind, a rate reduction now is a big move by the RBA because there's not much headroom left after they reduce it, after the, uh, they take it down from 2%. And finally, they're interested in what global turmoil, what global markets and the turmoil that is currently being experienced in global markets, what effect that's going to have on our markets and our growth here. Now, our growth here is is moderate pace. Um, moderate doesn't sound great, but moderate is actually pretty good. It's in between. It's Goldilocks. They're happy with moderate pace, um, but they would want to see more investment from the non-mining sector and they want to see more investment, obviously, from the mining sector, which would, that's going to be a long way away given where commodity prices are. So, the RBA is basically saying, let's leave everything on hold. We're going to have a look at things, watch how they go. Uh, we're not afraid to reduce rates again if we need to, but our preference is, my read on it is to keep it on hold. One of the things that's interesting about this RBA announcement is that there is one extra paragraph in there which they never have put in there before, and it's the final paragraph. Um, and that final paragraph says exactly what I just said. They are waiting to see what turmoil in the global markets does in Australia and therefore what response they need to have in Australia with our um, cash rate 
in order to stabilise our economy and to uh, accommodate growth, moderate growth over time. Okay, so that's where it's at. Um, they also comment on house prices are being moder- moderated by what the RBA is doing. They also comment on credit approvals are moderate as well. In other words, there's less lending going on. They also commented on commodity prices, which are down to, uh, 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 to where they were in the in the early 90s, which is you know, obvious to everybody. You know, oil prices down and all other commodities that Australia is a net exporter of, they're also down. They talked about financial markets in turmoil overseas, which they definitely are. Share markets are volatile, which they, they also commented on. So all the stuff you read about every day. So, you know, now uh, Matt Drummond's here. I can actually uh, say you don't need to buy the Fin Review because um, he's here as a GQ guy, not as a financial review guy, and we're going to talk to him in a second. But uh, what I'm saying is you don't need to read the, read the Fin Review. You're just going to read what the Reserve Bank said um, on Tuesday morning. Okay, guys, uh, that's it. I wonder how long the financial review took to summarise what you just said then. <laughs> uh, they, they, well, they're going to fill up about three works, Matt. <laughs> three weeks' worth. Um, yeah, and, and, the same story over and over again. Exactly. And, uh, and, and, of course, um, Chris Joy will write about 400 million pages about it. <laughs> will he ever? <laughs> and then he'll complain about getting cut back. Exactly. But Chris, he's uh, prolific in the way he writes. He's, he's great at this. I do like that article he wrote against the, uh, the the big Aussie short the other day. I did enjoy that. The, I think the, the I, movie? No, there's an Australian oh, guy this, who's... this big Aussie short. I don't, yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. a fascinating story, isn't it? I yeah, mean, that's these... You believe it, though. Actually, I don't. No. Because the thing about that story, and for anyone who didn't catch it, just to summarise it for them, it's a story about um, two guys who work for a hedge fund who came out to Australia, and a bit like a scene out of out of Michael Wolf book or that, yeah, or that yeah, movie, The Big Short, yeah. they drove around Western Sydney posing as a gay couple, pretending to be looking for a house to buy, um, and but really were just trying to get intel about the mortgage market and what mortgage brokers were doing and what real estate agents were doing and claim that they found that there was just all these houses in Western Sydney that were empty, that uh, people were not going to want and that was going to just lead to a massive, massive house crash in Australia. And what's interesting about the story is how they actually spoke to a journalist about it. They sort of place the story. As a journalist, it's always fascinating. And one of them is a hedge fund guy. It's always fascinating, exactly right. Always fascinating thinking about the story behind the story. By the way, we're talking about Drummond here, ex-AFR. He knows what the deal is, what we're talking about here. So, you know, this is quite an interesting behind-the-scenes sort of discussion. Go on. Well, it's a, it, it's a, you, you always look at it and think, why have they done this story? Why are these two hedge fund guys talking to a journalist about um, how they did this trip through Sydney? And there are a lot of people out there, Mark, a lot of people out there who've, 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 who've put bets in the market to say house prices are going to fall. And how do you get house prices to fall? Well, you create stories saying that house prices are going to fall and you put fear into the market to make people worried and you hope that all these things add up and something will just happen in the market and things will start to fall because people have had all these headlines saying there's a massive property crash coming. And they build a brand for themselves as a result of that. Absolutely. Geniuses, gurus. So that that might not be what's happened here, but it is curious that that story, which was so colourful about these two guys posing as a gay male couple uh, in Western Sydney looking for a house. Well, Trevor Sykes thinks that's the story because he rang me about it. Well, well, that, that's what the that's what the um, some of the characters in it, well, not the characters, the real people in the Michael Lewis book actually did. They went out to, like, you know, middle America and they talked to, you know, the people that are, were borrowing those ninja lines, no income, no job, no assets, and they were asking them how many investment properties they had. But, Nico, that makes sense. That, yeah, that, yeah. Ma- that, that, that's sort of, of that course, makes it's, sense. It's that, like, that makes get, sense. Out, get out there and, like, yeah, exactly. Don't don't just believe the, the statistics and the things that's happening at the top level. Go, go out there and find out what's happening on the ground. 
Well, you can. Well, that is that makes sense with these guys in America with these ninja loans, and uh, yeah. but but like to to extrapolate that back and overlay that against what's happening in Western Sydney is just a fucking nonsense. I mean, and by the way, it's not a proper survey, and don't no, don't go. Exactly right. uh, Western Sydney, which small. part of Western Sydney do they look at? This reminds me of Harry Dent. Um, Harry Dent, the you know the so-called uh, property guru and um, uh, you know share market guru from America, comes here every second year. Promote. He, he writes a book, and he holds a whole lot of seminars around Australia. Whole, Charges five hundred bucks a head, and twice I've debated him. Twice I've smashed him to the ground. Twice I've smashed him. Twi- and, and in both debates, he gets really pissed off about it. And by the way, at the back of the room, he's got his book for sale. And Harry Dan has been predicting the Australian property market crash for at least ten years. And I reckon if you keep predicting something for long enough, eventually it's going to happen. And uh, and Harry Dent will use the Economist, and the Economist has been saying that this is about Australian house prices for twenty years because when I see on the bond roadshows. Everybody used to quote to me in America and Europe, oh, why should we buy these bonds in Australian properties when the economist said that the Australian property market is going to crash? And what they used to use, they used to use a measure of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, a, of a, um, Australian income to property price. In other words, a asset to income, asset price to income right. ratio. This is a typical ratio that's used for most asset classes. But what they used to do, the, the economist um, got someone called... Uh, Demologica or something like that. I can't remember the name now, but it's not an Australian firm, but a, an overseas firm to do analysis of this ratio. And the, what they did is they used two wrong an, 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 analytics. They took Sydney property prices versus Australian average income, as opposed to saying Sydney property prices versus Australian uh, Sydney property Stra- Sydney, yeah, income. Yeah, Sydney income. Yeah. Or, or if you're going to want to take Australian income, take Australian property prices. Don't take Sydney property prices, which are much higher than everywhere else in Australia. And they used to use this, and every time they use this, the ratio came out in excess of nine. So. It's generally uh, the view is generally taken that that ratio should somewhere between five and seven of any asset class. Otherwise, the asset class is overpriced. Um, and if you but if you use the wrong denominator, you're going to get the wrong answer. The RBA and, and Harry Dent used to use this same ratio as did the Economist. The RBA went and did the ratio themselves just to put it to bed once and all, and they put it in their financial stability report um, last year and the year before in the February financial stability report for the previous six months in 2015 and 2014. And on both occasions, the RBA did the proper calculation and they showed that the uh, ratio came right in the sweet spot, sweet spot between five and seven. Mm. So it was just an absolute nonsense and a manipulation of the facts in order to promote a sale of a book. My view is these two punters are doing it to promote something that they're doing. Now, and it could be just to promote a fall in, uh, in the asset price. Look, the number of times that I've, I've been a, like I was a financial journalist for 10 years before I started um, as editor of GQ magazine, and the number of times I've been overseas and I've met someone who's wanted to talk to me about how Aussie house prices are going to fall because there are so many hedge funds and so many people all around the world who've made that bet and they're waiting for it to happen. And this is the thing, like you... Um, I mean, as for commentators, um, there's a lot of people out there who make an industry out of being um, out of being uh, Pandoras or sort of uh, you know foretellers of doom and gloom. Because if they get if they if, if they predict a collapse ten times, it doesn't happen. Um, no one kind of notices. You sort of yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. But if they just do it once, if they just manage to get it once, they get it right once. They what can a have, genius! They can be the they can they, they, that, that is their, their their meal ticket for the rest of their careers. Correct. And so you the, predict you you predict eleven of the of the of the two calamities that happened in the past 10 years, people remember the two. No, no, okay, man. You just said something very interesting. Editor at GQ, totally different vibe coming out of GQ. I mean, I'm a contributor to GQ, but it's a total different vibe that comes out of that magazine. And I want you to explain to the audience in a minute about that. But as an ex-AFR guy, and you're still a journalist, so why does someone like the AFR suck up this information and 
sort of looks like they're promoting it. I mean, is it, it, I've always wanted to know is, do people want to read bad news? I'm not asking to bag the AFR because it's the way the whole no, every no, this magazine. Is nothing, works. This is nothing. This is this is news generally. This is another thing. When you're a journalist, you get told all the time, "Why is the news so so depressing? Um, why is why does everyone take the bad spin on everything?" I mean, even today, for example, the numbers about the GDP. Um, actually, the Australian economy is growing better than people thought. It's growing at an annualised rate of three percent. And even then, the journalists were saying, "But the problem is that people are dipping into their spending, uh, their savings to to, um, to 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 consume more than there's no wage." Growth, it might be that this, these figures aren't going to last. Everyone's so negative. Why, 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 why? Is it the nature of a journalist or is it the nature of the... the it's the nature of news. Right. It's the nature of news. Um, the nature of news is that news is news if it's important. Things that are risky or dangerous or might go wrong are important. So journalists are incentivised to make their stories appear at the top of the website, to appear on page one. They're incentivised to make their stories as negative. Monetarily or...? No, no, not monetarily. We're, 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 man, you don't go into journalism for the money, believe me. Um, <laughs> for the fame, for the fame, for getting that, 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 that website hit that everyone clicks on, for getting that front page news story, people... Um, uh, editors and the way that things are placed in newspapers um, and on websites. Well, hang on, on newspapers. Let me just come back to that. Um, it, it, it's, it's done by the rankings of importance. And if you say that everything here is hunky-dory, that's not a news story. If you say that things are going wrong, um, that's a news story. So everything is always a little bit negative. Now, the thing that I should add, though, is that what's changing is that as media is increasingly going to digital first, a digital first strategy, newsrooms are reorganising themselves where the focus is on the website, not on the newspaper, because that's where the revenue is going, that's where the future is. Um, it's interesting. You don't make a judgment call. People don't make as many judgment calls about what's important because the punters decide, because they click on the stories. Right. So you can they actually... Tell you. Now it's more about people telling us what they think is news. So will they, will they change the direction journalists might take in terms of what they put up there? We're still going to get plenty of negative news because people, believe me, when they're, when you've got a big story that's about something that's gone wrong, that's 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 gone tits up, like people will read it. Absolutely believe yeah, it. Like I mean, instinctually you want to sort of like protect this, like you think, oh, this could affect me in a yeah. negative way. I've got to read it. Yeah, you totally. Know? Or yeah. people or people just interested in down that's totally right. And yeah. people also interested in downfall stories, like where things are going wrong, people are like, Woohoo, ooh, I'm glad I'm not there, you know. Like like <laughs> Slater and Gordon is an interesting company. It's a big story at the moment. The business circles, a listed law firm. Um, it's lost almost all of its market capitalisation, that's the kind of story that people will click on. People will click on Why? that story. What's the psychology of that? I mean, you're well, an editor of a, of, a, of a magazine now. What is the psychology of a reader, of, of either? Is there a different psychology of a reader of GQ or compared to what people oh, look yeah, on websites? Abs- absolutely, absolutely. Well, but explain that to me then. They're not the same audience. You don't think they're the same audience? Same, uh, same people though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're the same people, but they're coming to people for different things. So we And we do a different thing, right? In GQ, we do a very different thing from a newspaper. So, for example, we wouldn't have touched a story like Slater and Gordon because Slater and Gordon is a news story. It's a company that's going under. GQ is a I, magazine. I, I, mean, I, don't I don't understand, Matt. Why isn't that... Like, I, I'll pick up GQ. I like GQ magazine, so I, I might read that because I won't read it in the bloody newspaper I, I, you know, because I'm, I'm sick to death of reading about newspaper stuff in newspaper, we're just over it. Websites, etc. Like I just quickly, get, most of my news I get off Twitter. Okay, so off the people I follow on Twitter. So, but I probably would read the. I might, I might, I might be a bit of an unusual person, but I would probably read about the Slater and Gordon thing if it was of interest to me in GQ in a big, beautiful, long form feature. Pro, that a would probably, appear a in problem, the magazine. A probably yeah, balanced so article. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the um, the website here for a second. Right, Sorry. Okay. Um, uh, 
we would we would the, we, we don't do news, right? But what we do and what and what and what works for us and what does work for um, a website like the Fin, one thing is very common is people want news they can use. People want things that help them get ahead in life. So the same we will do a lot of stuff on GQ.com.au. That like some of our most popular stories in the last month, I was just looking through them. It's just um, five tips for getting into the share market. Like five very simple points about how you interest in buying shares. So, so GQ.com.au. Is, is your website, obviously. But is that like a newsy sort of website or is that m- similar to the magazine? It's uh, similar to the magazine. It's not newsy, but what it does is it tries to educate people. People go looking People go looking on the web for all sorts of information, how to get into the share market, how to, how to tie a Windsor not tie. I mean, we're GQ. Like, we're about like appearances as well as like what you say, um, how to look the part and, the, and, and how to look the part for the role you want to play in life. Yep. So we've got a lot of sort of style stuff on there. We have a lot of stuff, how to manage your money sort of pieces on there um, and a lot of entertainment stuff because that's what we are. We're cool. We're GQ. We do that sort of stuff. Where it overlaps. Very cool. I went to the GQ Awards. That were very fucking cool. They were cool. They were pretty cool. Um, the Men of the Year Awards. Um, where it overlaps is what people do read on, what people always read, people read across everything. They'll read a downfall story, like they'll read that, right? They, people find that fascinating. But they'll read stuff that inspires them. Okay, so, inspirational, you, you get it. So at GQ and at AFR when I was there, we do a lot of stuff about success. Um, we do a lot of things about entrepreneurs, about people who are just getting out and backing themselves and doing something different in business and making money and creating jobs. People love those sort of stories about people who got off their bums and actually did something, create something. They love that sort of stuff. And finally, they love news that they can use, something that's got them a little bit of, this is what you should think about your house. This is what this is what a house price are headed, um, this is uh, where the, the stock market is headed. Those are kind of like three big categories. So do you think the Fin Review could be just a weekly magazine, just once a week? On, when it, eventually when it's online, like all online, I mean, do you think it's a magazine that should, should just come out on a Saturday but with a really a really well put together, um, bit like a magazine? Possibly, a possibly. I mean, the thing is there's so many dynamics in media markets, so many dynamics. Like it's a, the advertising is a big part of the market and there's different days of the week where different publications can sell different types of ads, so... It comes down to revenue, too, doesn't it, I guess? Well, there's a lot of revenue to be made, for example, in property ads or a lot of revenue to be made from job ads. Yeah, Thursdays. You, can, you so can do those in different yeah. days of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting for me so about... So does that drive... That drives the number of times of issues, the number of issues that come out because everyone knows Thursday is the property advertising, for You're example. You're exactly right. Yeah, right. Exactly right. I mean, as newspapers think about moving themselves, they're all, they're all um, moving... Uh, news organisations are moving to a digital-first strategy where they put the focus on the web. But at some point, they have to work out when to stop printing. And, yeah. I mean, a lot of newspaper companies have talked about they'll stop printing newspapers when it's no longer profitable. Okay, good point. I want to... There's something I actually... I hate to say a segue. Um, where... Well, Amazon's opening up bookstores now in, in America, which is just crazy because they, it was their, through their um, entry into the marketplace, they actually closed most poor bookstores down. Um, I'm an old guy. I love the tactile nature of a book or a magazine. I like to have it on my table. I don't always want to go online and read something. As I a young guy, I like magazines. Okay. I've still got books and magazines on my coffee table. I know. So I last time when I was around your joint. I encourage that. And, 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 there, should, and there should be more up. There actually should be more. I actually have old issues of GQ, like, you know, like ones with like Bar Raffaele on there from like years ago and all the, like, I don't know, just ones with the really good covers of the really good Nick, I want to know who it was who nicked all the magazines from the farm, the black and white. I had the whole series of black and white for every issue and I'm half missing. You and your brothers have been taking them home or... <laughs> I don't know. It must have been some of the other guests that have stayed. Yeah, oh, maybe. I'm not sure. Don't blame. Don't don't take the blame yourself. But like, but because those sort of magazines are great. 
So now, not, how's it going? Do you think will 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 there will be a balance between books and magazines ab- and online? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the things about GQ in Australia is what extraordinarily strong business it is. It's actually growing. It's a growing business across print and digital. It's it's it's, so it's, it's revenue. Its revenues are growing absolutely in both both print and digital. All the and it's this thing the thing that people come back to about media when they talk about. Um, when a newspaper is going to disappear or a book's going to disappear, and people point out, well, hang on, we've still got radio. Hang on, we st- people still write letters to each other. Like all different forms of media, going back to Gutenberg and the press or what have you. Thing, things just, when new technology comes along, it just shuffles it along. So we still go to the picture theatres. Yeah, yeah. Remember people talking about Picture theatres. <laughs> people, I mean, I okay, it. maybe there's no drive ins. Maybe yeah, there's yeah. one. That's the one exception, the drive in. I love the drive ins. <laughs> there's not many of those anymore. But every single type of new uh, form of watching count. media or reading media, it just shuffles everything along, right? Yeah. Um, and it just makes it. So we're going to have like, maybe we're going to be watching virtual reality films, but we're Still in a, in a little in a couple of years time, but we're still going to be going to the cinemas because we obviously still we still like just going out of the house once in a while and hanging out. We still listen to the radio yeah. in the car. I love. We, people are still going to have newspapers. People are still going to have so, magazines. GQ. Let's 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 just drive into GQ now. Um, how long have you been the editor? Is it, what do you call it? Editor, editor chief. Editor. Call me the editor. You're the I'm boss. there for three months. You're the main guy the there. News Limited owns GQ. Correct. So let's just make. Tell everyone in the world that that's it's a news limited. It's a magazine. it's a it's a it's a Condé Nast title, which is an yep. American business run out of New York, right? Um, and uh, it licenses it to News Corporation in Australia, right? And News Corporation publishes it and Correct. does all this sort of stuff. So, and you're the well, not the new guy, but you've been there what now? Six months? Three months? Three months? Three months? Yeah. No. No, it's true. When, when, so when you had the Men of the Year Award, GQ Awards, I actually um, was invited, but I wasn't the editor then. You weren't the editor that. No, day. that okay, was like a job that, that, that day. Was, because that's when I last saw you. I that, just assumed you were the boss at that point. That was quite a party. Yeah, I didn't stay for the party. I just did. I, I presented Justin Hemmy's the Entrepreneur of the Year Award, which was a, a great award to be able to, to present. GQ Entrepreneur of the Year Award. I stayed for the after party, and then I went to the after after party, oh and God. then I thought everyone here is younger than me. <laughs> I'm going to be editing this thing. I think I better go home. I'm time to go. <laughs> what was the party like? Tell, tell me about the first part. Not the uh, yeah. Tell me about the first after party. I'm always curious about things. They went upstairs. So we're in the ballroom. And you went upstairs. Is that right? You went upstairs. Yeah, somewhere? onto the roof of the ivy. Why did you not go along? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the reason. But I don't. Age, I, age restrictions. I, I rarely go to anything. I mean, it, it's it's a rare th- thing for me to go to an event like that because um, I, I sort of get I get crowd scared of crowd. I'm not good with crowds. Oh, a right. bit of a thing. You're one of those types. Yeah, yeah. Again, a bit anxious. People everywhere. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's why we you. drink, Mark. Yeah, that's exactly. why people. Well, have that, a drink. well, that's the other thing. Then I'll drink, and then I'm really scared of myself. So uh, I'm better <laughs> off. Not okay, doing. you're definitely going to the after after party that next year. So tell me about it. What, what oh, happened? it was terrific. I remember having a great. I got a great chat to um, Walid Ali of Channel Ten. He um, was up for he won our um, media commentator of the year award for the men of the year awards at GQ. Um, what a terrific commentator and what he's really come into his own too. I used to talk to him on the ABC radio, so I had a great chat to him when I used to go in and talk about economics. Um, and um, if we'd both imagine where we are now, he's on Channel Ten and I'm running GQ. Um, yeah, it's a great party. I mean, that thing that what the point of those men of the of the year awards, Mark, is it's just a celebration of the kind of the cultural movers and shakers of Australia, yeah, the guys yeah. who are, and and we would have an award for a woman. Um, and it's so cool because it's an award for men. You think about, I mean, this is not being Neanderthal or anything, but just, it's just so cool to have a night that just celebrates men. Yeah, I agree and with what, that. And what men have achieved. And what, in the what, room, there's as do. many women as men anyway. I mean, most of the guys brought a partner along or something like that. Yeah, and we had, like, our, our woman of the year went to Ruby Rose, yeah, the yeah. DJ, cool. the actress. Um, people know her mostly from her role in um, the second series. Series, second series, I think it's third series, Orange is the New Black. Um, and she's a woman who identifies as gender fluid. 
yeah, she's yeah. a woman who identifies as as being who's not who's not a woman. So I mean, you know, we're problematizing gender yeah. uh, like like the best of them believe believe me. But it was just a, it's a good night. We've got like Michael Clark there. We had David Pocock, um, uh, phenomenal crowd, big party, and it just sort of it personifies everything that GQ is about. Like having just doing things well, doing things well. It was extraordinarily professional. I have Tell to us say. about the GQ push into the business sector, Matt. Oh, well, I guess this is a thing of, because as I said before, GQ in Australia is doing so exceptionally well. It's growing both in print and revenues. It's a funny job to come in as an editor and think, okay, what do I do? Like this is already sort of swimming along pretty nicely. So one big focus of mine as someone who, um, my former job was as the editor of AFR Weekend, the Saturday edition of the Fin Review. Which is a beautiful That that was a paper that was, I love that paper. That was a paper also will increasing circulation on that thing. That's Um, my point of view. I think that's where AFR should be heading. But anyway, in the the physical sense. That paper was doing very, very well. It does very well. It does it well because it does a lot of personal finance. It does like this is how you can make money. Not just this is not just saving money. This is like what you should be investing in. This is the thing you should be thinking about the stock market. This is news things, you, you should be news you can use exactly. Um, hey, we did a lot of that. Our- you should get the job. And then we did and we did a lot of entrepreneur stuff. We did yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff about tech. Uh, we did a lot of stuff about innovation. Um, a lot of stuff about just upbeat business stories that are inspiring. And it's a bit like the Marple Show. We go on. Well, I think, but we're actually on the same. You know, well, you and I are on the same wavelength here on this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. that stuff that is really inspiring um, and there are so many awesome stories out there and it's just that thing of people want to read that because every how many times have you been to a dinner party where someone talks to you about oh I've got this great idea for a smartphone app or you know everyone's everyone's I think we're in a moment of entrepreneurs yeah, yeah. I think we're in this bit of a zeitgeist where everyone wants to be an innovator everyone wants to be a Mark Zuckerberg everyone can see how you can create businesses out of your, your garage now so, at night you can keep your day job and you do something tonight so this is the sort of stuff I want to do more of with GQ. I want to import a little bit more of that sort of managing your money and building wealth and also celebrating innovators. Um, we've actually got just now in March, our month of tech, we're doing a whole bunch of stories on gq.com.au about, about, about the tech sector, about, um, about uh, we've got um, profiles of the guy from Design Crowd. Um, what about some of the yesterday? Here. What about his stuff? I mean, he, he, you have he, to pitch uh, it to me. <laughs> no, I'm serious because he's 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 won an award up at Moreton Bay, which is uh, what's formally what's the the title? Moreton Bay Innovation. I think mean, facts out of that again. Moreton Bay Region Innovation Awards. We've got Correct. some two guys from uh, from there. Absolutely spectacular, and they they've actually celebrated innovation. It's spectacular. There's Moreton Bay. For, yeah. I mean, we're talking about. Thank you, Trevor. And uh, Trevor Powell is here as one of our guests. Um, and he is uh, the award winner, and I promised when I did a, a speech up there about oh, maybe three months ago um, to the mayor that I would uh, uh, invite Trevor down here to the show, or the winner at least. I didn't know it was going to be Trevor. And what's interesting here is that places like Moreton Bay, I mean, a lot of people in Australia don't even know where Moreton Bay is. Is that, is that um, White Roy's? That's well, White Roy's Electric constituency, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, I was down in Wollongong recently, and Wollongong have a, an innovation Centre as well, like a, and Wollongong is trying to make themselves into an innovation hub. Um, and to Matt's point, um, we're in an innovation era, and if you drill it right down, we've now got regions trying to build themselves up as innovation um, innovation regions, Moreton Bay being one of them, and Trevor here representing that. Are you, is this the first lot of awards? No, not at all. I was, the thought that occurred to me is that things have changed, things have fundamentally changed, and there's a, a political dynamic that's different than it was a short time ago. You could try and talk about innovation over the previous 10 or 15 years. Oh, you're an entrepreneur. You're a terrible person. Absolutely. We are. 
I mean, that's that's the reality. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so fundamentally different than it was. It's now being celebrated. It's being celebrated. And when when regional councils, as you say, actually get off their bum, to use that word, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't be part of this discussion today unless a local demogra- demography actually started doing something. And for a small business, it's just extraordinary. To well, have and that's interesting. I mean, look, because this weekend's, uh, uh, I don't know what we call it anymore, but it used to be called the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, but it's a, it's a celebration of diversity. Is it, is it not any longer it's on a, one of those I'm not, sure if they've changed, I'm not sure if they've changed the name, but it's on this weekend. Point being here is it is celebrating the way minorities want to choose to live their life, okay? <laughs> Bless you, Jake. Um, but, but, and I think, to be frank with you, entrepreneurs or innovators have been a minority. And now we are starting to celebrate all sorts of minorities. And I think one of the minorities is getting celebrated is innovators. innovators. Yeah. Well, let's call them entrepreneurs. And yeah. the, and I think Trevor's more like an inventor. Well, no, but that, that's what maybe entrepreneurs, innovators include inventors and include. No, 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 no. But 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 reminds me of someone I see on that show that you and I used to watch, the new inventors. The new inventors. It's like that ABC show. What he's actually saying is I'm old. But but if you flip this right around in the circle, here we are on the this show here, which is a it's an innovative show in some respects because it's a new format. Um, we're talking to Matt Drummond here, who's ex-AFR. Now he's uh, running GQ. He's the editor of GQ, and he's talking about GQ not just promoting, um, you know, sharp gear and uh, blah blah blah, aspirational good stuff, haircuts. but and good haircuts. But also, he's now talking about uh, um, promoting and um, running stories about innovators and entrepreneurs and inventors and tech and cool stuff that actually helps you get on in life, etc. And then, then we flip around the corner and we're talking to Trevor here, who's uh, the winner of the Morton Bay's Innovation Awards, um, which, you know, maybe five, ten years ago, you've been in this game a long time, five, ten years ago, no one even give you a fucking look in. No, that's right. And just have that discussion where you're talking about entrepreneurship, where you're talking about innovation, is it self-exciting? It's part, it's, it's part of a changing dynamic. And I, I want to say this to you. I... I have a great, and this sounds really trite, and I, but I will say it. I have a great appreciation more recently of the excitement minority groups get, or smaller groups, not even called minorities, smaller groups get as a result of when they start to be celebrated, like International Women's Day, which is next week, Tuesday next week, I think, um, the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. I have a great appreciation of those smaller group celebrations as a result of, because I've never been part of those smaller groups, as a result of being part of a group, innovators and entrepreneurs is now being celebrated. But in fact, by the Australian government, That's a- and it takes a long time for us to get well. It, it really is. It's part of us growing in an identity as we go through our life. I, I truly believe that that you begin to be more confident ultimately of who you are and what the things as Australians are truly about. No, as an individual, what you truly value yeah, yeah, deeply, yeah. and it's about that relationship. It's about the quality of the people you meet on the journey. And entrepreneurs, by their nature, are. Yeah, they can be, A, at the right-hand spectrum, they can be incredibly introverted, but you've got to come out of that bush occasionally and start presenting your wares to the world in a way that's that's captivating and exciting itself. What do you think about that, mate? You, I was going to ask, do you think as someone who's been a very successful business person, as an entrepreneur, we all, we all, we all know the story about Wizard, um, did you feel like an outsider? Yeah, always, I, I, yeah. and I still do. I mean, I, I have felt not less so these days, but I'll be frank with you, um, it's a very lonely place and I'm not trying to, you know, it's not a cry or anything, but I'm, you know, 
but it's a very lonely place being an entrepreneur, particularly 10 years ago, relative to today. It was a lot harder 10 years ago. It was a lot easier and a lot harder in some respects, but it's a lot harder today to be successful because you've got more people to compete with. Back then there was less people to compete with, but it was also harder to do it because it was a lonely place. Well, remember in the days of like Christopher Scase and Alan Bond, being a businessman, entrepreneur was a really dirty term, right? And they might have survived, Matt, 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 in those days if governments and the community had a different attitude towards them. They may have actually got through the, their processes today. If the, you put them in here today... And I think the processes that exist today or that didn't exist back in their day were the reasons why they actually skirted around the system and they fucked it up. Do you think the cultural cringe is finally changing, the tall poppy syndrome? I can't remember no, hearing about, sure about tall poppies in the last four or five years. I'm not, sure not part of the lexicon. Uh, yeah, we, we, we did, we, I've done stories on that before, actually. I think there is a case for that. I think Australia's... Um, we're becoming aware. American yeah, we're losing, we're global. losing. We're, 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 the idea of being a massive success of... Of, of of reaching of you know reaching for the stars, we don't sort of cut people off as much mm-hmm. anymore. We're very used. It's partly a cultural story because we're so used to um, Australians like cleaning it up in Hollywood. You know, Cape Blanchard. Yeah. And or, we do. We reach out beyond our own shores, which is something that's more really so these days. Here. Incredibly so. We yeah. are truly part of a global world. But I think there's something for me. What it comes down to is a very interesting thing about technology, and how. Um, like they talk, like even kids these days, right? Like teenagers, they're, they've, they've got an Instagram account and some of them have got, like you get these kids on Instagram who've got like thousands of followers, just like they go off and take the dog for a walk, but they do it in a bikini and they just get all these thousands of followers. And then a few months later, they've got Coca-Cola giving them like $300 to hold up a Coke can while they walk the dog. And they, they sort of, and they're building like mini businesses. There's all these things about um, how the te- technology allows you to just sort of explore the world and appreciate that you, you are a bit of a product yourself and that you can create all these people following you who are kind of your market. And I think it's kind of causing younger people to, to actually think, I don't have to go and get a job. I can build my own brand and make my own business myself. Now, it might be some of these people are going to go off and they're going to learn how to um, program code. They're going to learn how to, you can teach yourself on YouTube how to code. Um, there's a lot of these, it just seems like there's a new generation of people coming through who, because technology allows them to speak to anywhere in the world through Twitter, Instagram, through Tumblr, whatever, they're actually starting to realise you can build, yep. you can build a market, you can build an audience yourself. Um, I think that's rewiring people. That's why I think this is, this is an exciting time to be around because I think the next time. generation is going to be much more, even more entrepreneurial than this one. And I, and I hope we all get to sort of see the next generation because I think it's going to be so exciting. I mean, oh, like you get someone like Nick Boris sitting down at the end of the table. What are you, 26 now, Nick? Just yep. turned 26 a couple of months ago. Um, Nick's sitting down the end of the table there and his whole world is like totally opposite to, say, my whole world in terms of people I connect with, et cetera, on a day-to-day basis. And he works very mobile. And, and, and the number of people he brings into the show, they're just mates of his he went to school with. I mean, Seb here behind the camera, for example. Everybody's doing something different um, in his world. I mean, he's got a lot of people doing everything the same as me, but he's got a lot of mates, who, friends who do something different to me. Mm. So... Um, uh, Genevieve George, who often comes into the show, like who, who um, Nick brings in, and he went to uni with her. Their world is new, and what's going to be interesting for Nick to be standing in this spot she, here? She left. She left uni and, and and decided not to finish to pursue her entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh, calling. I guess you know she, she never never took a corporate job, never. Uh, Never finished, never got the degree. I don't think she ever got the degree. And now she's probably 10 times, 100 times more successful than probably anyone else I know that's taken uh, the more conventional path. Yeah, and, and, and so those conventional paths, like yeah. getting a new degree, 
or at least attending university lectures, lectures I should say, on a day-to-day basis where you can't do your entrepreneurial um, gig is starting to sort of flip the other way. So people are sort of going to say, oh, I'll do my entrepreneurial gig during the day and now what people are going to start doing on the educational is I'll start doing my degree online. And I won't, I won't bother to turn up university because it's actually a waste of time sitting there all day hanging around the campus because they're actually encouraging me to uh, take three months' holidays every three or four months or two months' holidays every three or four months. They're encouraging me to go as slow as the lecturers at the university want to go because the lecturers at the university want all their, all their breaks. Mm. And it's the lecturers at the university who want their breaks are driving the time it takes to get a university degree at conventional universities. David, I think we've got to say goodbye to Matt. He's got to get off to... I'm- very sorry, but I do have to no, get going. No, that's cool, Matt. That's but cool. It, it, it does feel like well, you're do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? I would absolutely love to. I do feel like we are on the same um, brainwave yeah, 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 here. Yeah, yeah, we it's, are. Um, and it's, it's cool. Dress, as dress more casual next time you come in as well. Hey, <laughs> I know GQ. you're representing GQ. Yeah, he's looking good. Yeah, yeah. Sharp. Okay. And we're going to get Trevor's pitch, and then Matt, I'm going to send his pitch into you, mate. You might, you guys might need to talk to this guy. Yeah, we'd absolutely love to have that discussion as well. Come on, Trevor, pitch me up. Tell me, tell me what you won the award for. Well, I was actually going to say why I'm here, which is actually, as we said okay. earlier in the discussion, because these guys did what they did. The region went out of its way to actually support innovation. Uh, what we've done is not really that clever. I mean, when I walk out here every morning, what's, in fact, when you walk outside this building, the first thing you notice is it's stinking hot, yeah? Mm-hmm. That's Sydney. So we've actually developed an energy system that's based around capturing the heat of the sun. And that's all it is. Explain it. Okay, right. Think of a big magnifying glass. Yep. Great big field of mirrors, concentrate that heat, Yep. create steam, drive steam turbines. Okay, so it's it's not solar power? Yeah, it's not solar power. It is solar pa- power, but they're not Bingo. solar panels. It's not solar power in the way that you understand it. It's not solar power that sits on a rooftop in a suburb. This is for large-scale infrastructure. Yes, it's, it's, so this is to run a power station. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. as opposed to me putting it on my house. Heat, or you're yeah. catching like UV. Yeah. Like, I don't know how the difference between the two. Well, keep it really simple. Yeah. It's all about heat. Every single bit of energy... That's every process that's occurred on the face of the planet since time began came from the sun. When you're digging up coal, well, if you're digging up a coal seam, and I spent a lot of time, a lot of time in the mining industry, and you can't say that the mining industry and solar don't work together. Of course they work together. It's a, it's a pool of energy. I spent a lot of time in the mining industry, and if you're digging up 100, 200 metres of coal seam, you're digging up captured sunlight from a million years ago, all that, that mm. organic material that was laid down over millions of years, it's just another form of energy. So what we're saying is <laughs> cut out the middleman. Use heat to drive the process. Go direct to the sun. Go direct to the sun. It's almost that. Every industrial process that you look at, every, whether it's generating power for residential, whether it's generating power for industry, is ultimately derived from the sun. So use heat. It's really quite effective. And can you just, in a sort of broad way, ex- explain the science around it or yeah, the, the technology around it? Yeah. So you, 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 you said... Uh, in a very quick way, this bit like put a big magnifying glass there under the sun, which I'm sure it's not, but but it's sort of like that. Um, it is. You have upright panels. It's it's different, isn't it? Yeah. But what I'd encourage people to have a look at is is do a web search. Google's Google's the ultimate arbiter of knowledge. We've got the the, the knowledge of the known universe at our it's fingertips. The nervous we, system of yeah, the world. Well, we couldn't have done what we'd done had we not hacks, had access to that level of understanding. Because mm. what we've got is a, is a global product. Do a web search on what are called parabolic troughs and concentrating solar power. And what you'll see is these thumping great structures. So just to be clear, parabolic is a, is a curved shape. Parabolic is a curved shape. It's a curved shape Correct. dish. It's like a dish. It's, a, it's effectively a dish. For anyone in Australia remembers the movie called The Dish, it's The Dish. Bingo. Bingo. Exactly right. So in our case, and what you'd find in the web, is 
thumping gate, great structures, it might be two or 300 metres long. It's a great big curved dish, sort of like a 44-gallon drum, if you remember, old, mm-hmm. what's that, 200 litres in, our, in our days? A 44-gallon drum cut down the centre and it's long and it's skinny. And what that does, the heat of the sun in those instances focuses on a pipe and through that pipe passes an oil or water and it gets extremely high temperatures. And we said that was really, really difficult, really difficult to move something that's that sort of structure. So we're not very clever. We're a group of engineers. We looked at that and said, well, maybe we can actually do something to simplify it because energy is a commodity. Energy is the ultimate commodity. We don't care whether it's green. We don't care whether it's red. We don't care what colour it is. We turn on a switch. You want it to be cheap. And you've got to be able to get it everywhere. You've got to be able to distribute it, and that's the nature of a grid. But... At the end of the day, we actually don't care. <laughs> Deep in our soul, we don't care where it comes from. It's all about return on investment and LOI. LOI? Yeah, it's all about ROI. 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 <laughs> I told you, we're not very clever. So, uh, we... Uh, so leave the commercialisation to somebody else. You yeah. just focus on the technology. <laughs> it's a bit like that. <laughs> actually, focus on the people. Yeah. Focus on the people. So, just, just, let me tell, tell me about how long you've been working on this. Oh, goodness me. Started our company in the mid-1990s in well, Hong Kong. That This particular technology has taken... The better part of a decade, eight and okay, nine years to get the stage come commercialisation. Where did the idea, you? No, it's actually Team. about 40 years ago. It actually started to develop in the United States, and that's uh, hence the, the, the sort of thought about going and have a look at the web. This is technology that's been out there and proven. We've just decided there's a fundamentally easy way to produce it at a lower cost. So whilst the spark of creativity has come from me. We've got an extraordinarily team of talented people, again, that we couldn't have accessed unless we had... Okay, that's interesting, too. Explain it to me because a lot of people sit around and say, well, how the fuck did he do it? Like, Trevor's gone and, I mean, gone and done this over a fair period of time, but where do you get the money from? We're self-funded. Okay, yeah. self-funded being investors or... Oh, I'm the investor. You're the, the investor, okay. How did you, fu- how, how did you become the investor? <laughs> did you sell everything you had or did you had to no, you know, mortgage up? It, yeah, we've done it through cash flow. Basically, as a company, we're a project management delivery company. So we spent a career, a, a career in delivering major projects, infrastructure projects, to mass who? transits, and the likes of BHP, Billet and people. So like out of that. your income, you yep. funded, out of your income outside of this stuff? It's funded out of cash flow. It's okay. funded out of cash flow. And that's, you'd know better than anybody. That's a really hard way. Bootstrapping is hard. But work. I always say to everybody, if you want to be an entrepreneur, keep your day job. And because yep. you always need your income, and you got to, and that funds the stuff you do outside yep. of that. And you've got to act. You must act. And we've gone. This, this is the same old story. The reason I started, basically, we'd lost a mozza. We'd lost a mozza in South Africa um, with an investment that just turned turtle. We had a manufacturing business in South Africa. We'd been you know, travelling everywhere, and you come back to Australia licking your wounds and think, "Where to from here? <laughs> what's what's the next big thing we're going to try and tackle?" And, and energy had been something that's really quite important to me. Okay, because we've got people listening to this aren't necessarily interested in your technology, but they're interested no. in knowing how you got there. So, first and foremost, you kept your day job. Yep. You kept your consulting business. Let's call it consulting business, just for the sake of because a lot of people don't really know what project management. A consulting business where you consulted to organisations, got paid, used that cash to fund the development of this invention, this technology that you're doing now. Um, and it's not just you. It was, you know, it's like everything. Everything, there's always some sort of technology which someone yeah. else actually adds something creative to and builds right. on. So that's the second thing you did. Also Tell great. me about your team. We've got um, PhDs in a serious range of um, engineering disciplines, thermodynamics, in other words, which is all about heat, understanding what heat flow does. We've got um, some really talented people in engineering structures. In other words, what it is, it's... It's about delivering a capability 
Um, we've got what you'd call as a fairly typical team structure, I think, which is delivery, finance, but it's taken the better part of, as I say, the better part of eight or nine years to get to that scale of just slow. So would you say to anybody who's in a hurry? Don't, don't, don't you be, won't. Be patient. Yeah, we, we could have taken investment probably four or five years ago and probably the, the best thing we didn't do was take investment because it would have been the wrong product at the wrong time with the wrong appreciation of the market. And to be able to distill in our case, this is energy, silly. <laughs> That's all it is. Mm. So everything else is to some extent a bolt-on. In effect, we're end-use agnostic. I, d- I don't care whether we're producing electricity. I don't care whether we're producing steam. At the end of the day, there's a bucket full of really low-cost energy. So you're producing energy that can produce can produce electricity. Correct. And yours is a commercial application. It's not something I'll stick on my house. Um, it, you go along to, say, a mining company, and you say to a mining company in a remote area, yeah. uh, look, to get power out here is going to be virtually impossible or very expensive. Um, um, and uh, here's a way of... Uh, this technology, correct me if I'm wrong, this technology um, is portable, so to speak. In other words, we can get it to your site and you can collect the, the power of the sun yeah. and you can turn it into electricity in the case of a, a mining company to power the sheds where all the miners sleep overnight and they do the cooking overnight and power inside the mine if, there's yeah. a, if it's underground, et cetera, and to put the power. And what is that's, and is a great demand for that. Just let's talk about Australia a moment. Let's forget about the world is a great demand for that style of energy or that style of solution? There's a, there's a massive demand for energy, full stop, in all its forms. And I said earlier that we spent a lot of time in the mining industry and you said earlier this morning that the, the resource price is stumbling. The, re, the resource price is in a fundamentally different place. Um, mining organisations are typically looking to invest, pick a number, $10 billion to build a mine, to get the, the, the product to port. And the only reason that makes economic sense is on the sheer volume that can be generated. So is your product cheaper? Yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 there's yeah. a capital cost. There's, yeah, and that, they got to amortise yeah, the capital cost. And that is that is the true equation. The The cost of the development of the coal mine, the cost of the development of the power station was paid down, blessing by your dad mm. and my dad, mm. your grandfather, if you will. Um, we compete in a market where we pay for the capital asset today. But the difference is solar is by its nature capex heavy, with zero OPEX. Mm. A coal mine... What, what, what Trevor's saying is you cost you nothing to operate the bloody thing, but you've got to spend a lot of money up front. Yeah. But basically what you've got to do is when I say amortise, when we say amortise, what we're saying is if it costs 100 bucks up front and nothing basically for the next 10 years, assuming the thing can live for 10 years, has a life of 10 years, mm. in other words, it's not going to fall apart, um, then, you know, you might say I'll deduct notionally $10 a year every year out of my, uh, off my revenue to amortise the cost yep. up front. That's yeah. what we're talking about. So operating cost in th- in solar, whether it's res- residential rooftop or it's large-scale infrastructure, operating cost is effectively zero. You pay today, but you pay nothing over the next Negligible. 25 years. Yeah. And, and, and that's an important point for people listening. So if you're trying to invent something or you know, you're, you've got this great idea, um, one way to be able to sell this to the market is you can either come up with a product that costs less on every time you use it relative to what the... Um, the, the current situation is. In other words, Trevor could be coming up with a new product that cost me um, per um, uh, per kilowatt hour of power what I would normally pay to country energy or to origin energy or something like that, something less. Or you can come up with a product that I pay now and over a 10-year period I pay a lot less. Mm. And that's sort of what he's doing. And that's, that's the hallmark of all new inventions and all new creations and all new innovations 
if you get that mathematical formula right, the number right, the eco- economics right, then you've got a, you've got a winner. Yeah. As long as it gives you an equivalent outcome. As long as it gives you an equivalent outcome. And all of a sudden you do get to the stage where whilst the technology is incredibly important, it's actually you, you mature along that pathway so that it becomes less important and then you realise it's all about the outreach, it's all about the, it's about the network and it's finding people that you want to work with. Because you're never, you're never going to convince everybody that your solution is appropriate for them, but you will find some. You'll have find you, whether have you got somebody. Have you got yeah, who's we've got, some, we've got someone using yeah, a product? Got, we've got actually a pilot that's being built in Malaysia today, and you have to ask yourself why the hell doesn't it appear in Australia? Why isn't it in Australia today? This stuff, as I said, has been around for forty years, and yet you walk outside and there's no evidence. Well, why Roy told me about you, by the way? He's a good man. Yeah, why? no, he did. He really is. He told me about it. He told me about you, and because he said in uh, you know his humble electorate. There's somebody up there with a new invention around yeah. solar energy. And uh, this was like two or three months ago. Yeah, that'd be about right. It's when we first met him. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm absolutely and utterly and not a political beast, but he's somebody who, who truly is impressive. He's really an impressive young man. Yeah, he uh, is a very impressive. Well, we've had him on the show a couple of times and we're going to get him back soon. But he's, but he's got, got this ability to remember... Um, these sorts of innovations and talk about them. He sort of weaves them in at the right he time. He does it with passion. He's yeah. articulate. He's passionate. And struck me, there's no bullshit about the guy. Yeah, somebody no you can really empathise with. Yeah. So and and being his electorate, and I know you've got some representatives here from the council who aren't allowed to speak. So I'm not going to get them up here to speak <laughs> because there's some sort <laughs> of protocol. Them. <laughs> there's some sort of protocol. But uh, how important is it for entrepreneurs and or inventors or creative innovators, people like you, to have councils like the Morton Bay Council to? Yes, like to, fun, to, yeah, to sponsor you in this in this regard. It's fundamental. And the, the cash is not the driver. The cash is never the driver. No. It's – we wouldn't be having this discussion. It's as simple as that had somebody else not done it. Mm. Um, there's only so many people that you can reach. There's only so many people you can touch. You ask the question, do we have an investor? Yes, for God's sake, we've finally got an investor. We've finally got somebody. But we didn't go and do that by ourselves. It struck me it's, – it's part of the answer to your question, but it struck me there are, there are things that you must do on this journey – you, you must move. Yeah, what past are the technology. three or four things you've got to tell me? What they are? Tell the okay. listeners what they are. Bear with me just while I think about that for a moment. It's first and foremost, and it it almost sounds a cliche. It's touch people. Whenever we've we've touched and reached out to people, it's been the moment we've had this dynamic growth. That we are. This this discussion is part of it. It's that, that contact when you deeply empathise with people and it's – and I, th- I think what I'm probably saying poorly, let me start that again. Every time we've not in- listened to an instinct, it's ended badly. So for me, I, I think perhaps it's, it's instinct, which is a strange thing, but first, I think you'd understand. So the first point yeah. is follow your instincts? Follow an instinct. Or have one and follow it. Have the courage to act on it. When we've not followed that in- – you know that instinctive feeling in the back of your neck? I think it doesn't – feel right, mm. for God's sake, listen to it and have the courage to act. The money's not the issue, the people are the issue. And then it's it's actually about having passion. Um, Second one, so that passion mean, meaning energy, pardon the pun, but using being passionate means, in my view, is about being energetic and pursuing and yeah. prosecuting the thing that and you believe in. Yeah, and people are incredibly forgiving if you make a technical error, incredibly forgiving. And we've gone back and we've gone forward and we've gone back and we've gone forward. But eventually we've found a pathway and we've kept on, we've kept on pursuing what made sense. Okay, um, so, so two, two, two things. One, I, mean, I'm just gonna, I want this to be clear to everyone who's listening. First thing you're saying is have an instinct to it and follow it or at least 
observe it yeah. and be conscious of be it. Be very, very conscious of it. And and the second thing is you're saying, be passionate. In other words, have energy and drive the thing that you believe in. Correct. And be prepared to make a mistake. It doesn't fucking matter. If it you make a mistake, it's okay. Matter. And in fact, I suspect if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. Uh, we've fallen on our bum more times than I care to think about. But get up and believe that where you're going is the right direction. And that's a very interesting thing, Trevor, because you know what? Australia has, we talked about it earlier, but Australia has evolved and emerged um, like the rest of the world. And, and actually, White Roy's done something about this. He's changing the bankruptcy laws. But there's nothing wrong with failure. As long as you failed in the right, in the right manner, you yeah. made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. As long as you learn from it and you developed and evolved from yeah, that. I, I, in a sense, I don't it. think there's anything such as failure. It's just one opportunity that you had to experience to Correct. learn. Okay. Um, and what, what's the third thing you say? Fundamentally and utterly people. So it's, it's instinct, it's passion, and it's people. P- people meaning what? Um, what do you mean by that? People, that wonderful, rich... No, to us, I think it's deeper than that. It's that wonderful, rich network of people who reach out beyond themselves. And we've got some extraordinary people working with us, but we've got an extraordinary group of people surrounding For us. Example, the council. Exactly my thoughts. Yeah. Um, somebody knows somebody knows somebody. I said we've... Uh, well, we've and that's how you're here there, by the way, because I spoke yeah. at the council for the mayor. The mayor, the what, mayor what of uh, Morton Bay, what's his name? Alan. Alan. Well, he's a cheeky bugger. He came up to me and he started... You know, talking about he's he's a full on guy, right? He's 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 a cool. I think mean, he's a very cool mayor. Morton Basin's like a pretty cool place too. Um, but he came up to me and he he just sort of was at me and at me and at me. And then the end, I said, oh, okay, mate. You're, when your innovation awards come out, you can bring the winner down. That's here. Brilliant. And that's what you're talking about about uh, people. Yeah. Having people connect everybody, and and here you are sitting and, and GQ. Yeah. I mean, let's let's hope I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk to Matt about this. GQ might write write, write something about this. Not about your invention. No. But about I, I was, how you got there. Yeah, I was actually quite, it was fascinating to hear that people articulate about those very things called passion and entrepreneurship. It's, there is an energy. It, absolutely. And that's not a pun, but you well, generate energy. What would be good is you could write us a note, and we'll put it up on the website, but write us a note on the esoteric stuff, the nature of those three things, yeah. when you've got some time to think about it, the nature of those three things that you think are the most important things that got you there. And what we'll do is we'll put that on the website and then what we'll do is we'll submit that to GQ and say to Matt Drummond, mate, this is the sort of stuff you need to be talking about compelling? and maybe you could, maybe I could interview yeah. you in my next column I'd be for GQ because I do that yeah. whenever it comes out once a month or something. So I'll, maybe that that could be the next my next story. I'll I'll, I'll interview you and we'll we'll print that interview. It's funny that. That's, in fact, yeah. we will. We'll do it. I'll do that for sure. Because that that actually is the interesting part of it. You, you must you must get past the widget. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then it's it all of a sudden, this just makes sense it, to me. It's been a question of why the hell don't we do this? You've got to find the pathway, but it's the the esoteric. It's the it's what drives that whole concept. All of the invisible stuff. And why, think about it, BHP Billiton at some stage was a man with a shovel. Somebody somewhere went out into the paddock. Lang Hancock. Bingo. <laughs> and he was a man in a single, single yeah. engine aeroplane flying on his own, flying over the Hammersleys. And now and we have Gina. Looking for red, red dirt and, <laughs> yeah. he, and he claimed and as a result of that you got, yeah. you know, the, the world's, world's richest bi- woman. The world's richest woman, yeah. the world's richest vein of iron ore. Yeah. Trevor, I have to go make a speech at the Sofitel, which is a bit unusual. I could speak to you all day. This is brilliant. Um, I'm going to I have to turn off the radio at the moment. Um, Nick, can you give us a wrap on this? Sure. <laughs> What's happening next week, son? So we got, we got, um, we, we love our fans, and uh, you know many of, of the listeners out there write into the show. So we're going to have, I think, about six or seven are coming in next well, week to tell us their stories. So you know, I mean, 
every now and then. I mean, I, I get that there's a lot of people out there that aren't interested in listening to their compatriot fans talk about things, but there are a lot of fans that want to talk about stuff. So every now and then it's good to bring them in and have a chat. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, exactly that's our bread right. and butter. Yeah, not that we've got much. I think I, I think I picked some. I, I think I picked some interesting ones that have got some interesting stories to tell. So, okay, cool. Yep. And uh, next week is International uh, Women's Day. Is that right? Uh, Tuesday. It's called International Women's Day. Yep. Um, I, I and, and we talked about it earlier, Trevor and, and Nick and uh, Jakey. We talked about it. Um, how minority groups, and I, I don't mean women are in a minority, but they're a small group relative to noise in in the community, or have been traditionally. Um, I. I I think we could all get behind that day, and on that day, I'm doing two speeches. I'm doing one for Yellow Brick Road to a group of 50 women, and I'm doing one for NAB to a group of 50 women on the same day. Um, just sort of stuff Trevor's been talking about, you know, uh, tips, really just sort of hardcore tips about what I think works in being successful as a business person, and I don't mean making money. I'm talking about just success and whatever it is you're doing. Um, and uh, and I think Tuesday's a big day, Nick Boris, and uh, maybe we could... Talk about that on uh, on the podcast. Maybe we just have to put a little section aside for what happened on Tuesday and anything that came out of International Day for Women. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Maybe we could just put that on the agenda. Yep, we'll do. As well as the uh, five or six people that you're bringing in who are our listeners. Cool. <laughs> and, guys, uh, have a great weekend. Uh, celebrate uh, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras and uh, have a good time. And, Jakey, uh, Man, I'm very disappointed you didn't wear a, a velvet suit in today, but anyway, it's all cool. Oh, sorry, next week. Well, we made GQ. You had GQ here. This is your big chance. I'm still in a nice suit. No, it's a nice suit, but I, the, 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 but those velvets are standouts. Yeah, Matt, those lapels are. I've only got so many of them, though. <laughs> Can't keep wearing the same ones. See you guys. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris, and find out more at markboris.com.au. Listener.